Good morning. Thanks for being here this morning. Um, everyone on Facebook Live, also thanks for joining us. Um, I think now I understand why Pastor Tom and Pastor Ryan asked me to speak on this Sunday. They figured we'll, we'll mitigate our risk here and, and have Gabe speak when we've got the smallest audience possible. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, anyway, thanks for joining us online. Thanks for being here this morning. Um, so spring is, spring is probably my favorite time of year, which is um, a little problematic for an Iowan because spring is usually really, really short, right? We go from freezing cold weather and snow to 90 degrees and humid um, really, really fast. But spring is my favorite time, time of the year, and this is why. It's this tiny, tiny window when everything that's awesome about life, it, it just aligns, right? It's like the planet's aligning. The sun shines longer. The weather warms up. Eventually, it will warm up. Things start to turn green, spring break from school happens, and possibly my favorite, definitely my favorite, is Easter. And what I found is the longer and longer I'm a Christian, the more and more I love Easter. And I actually have to be really careful this morning um, not to jump into an Easter sermon. In fact, as I was choosing songs for this week, and, and you probably kind of noticed it there with the, the offertory video, um, it sounds a lot like Easter. But what we have to talk about this morning isn't actually Easter quite yet, but instead it's the raising of Lazarus. So we're in John 11, and it's the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And something I found really interesting about this story, and in fact I think it's kind of funny, Lazarus really doesn't do much in his own story. I mean, really all the guy does is he gets sick, he dies, and then Jesus calls him out of his tomb and he gets up and does it. I mean, really that's the only part Lazarus plays. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a speaking part. Um, he doesn't even actually physically show up in the story until the last couple of lines. But I think what I want to focus on first is Lazarus part, played his part of the story way before this actual event. So that's what we're going to focus on first. Let's go ahead and read. It starts like this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for, the, for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days, and then said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So here's the beginning of the story. And I think the first thing that struck me during the passage is just the timing of this miracle. See, as it is, this is the last, the final miracle that Jesus performs in his ministry. And in fact, 
It's this very sign, it's this very miracle that sets into motion the things that eventually lead to Jesus' death. See, when the Pharisees find out about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, their anxiety about Jesus, their worry about Jesus, their being threatened by Jesus reaches its peak. And it's actually the point at which they put into motion um, the plan, the plot, that leads, to Je- that leads Jesus to the cross. It just makes me think, isn't God's will so perfect that by Jesus expressing his power over death, he actually instigates his own death? It's like the best little bit of foreshadowing ever. And in fact, in hindsight, looking back at the story, it's a dead giveaway. By raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus, he's prophesying about himself. He's prophesying about what he is going to accomplish at the cross. So this miracle, this sign, it's so important not only to progress the story of Christ, but to demonstrate who Jesus is and what he has the power to do. So thinking in that light, wouldn't it be incredible to be Lazarus, to be the man that dies, to be the dead man that gets to be raised again by Jesus as the proclamation that Christ would triumph over death? I kind of I draw this connection between Lazarus and John the Baptist. Whereas John the Baptist, he came to proclaim Jesus' coming. Lazarus proclaimed Jesus' death and resurrection. They kind of played similar parts, just at different ends of the story. So this passage begins with a brief explanation of how Lazarus is connected with Jesus. Again, we don't really see him. We don't really hear from him. But we know that Jesus loved him. We quickly learn that he's the brother of Mary and Martha. And this is the same Mary that knelt at Jesus' feet, that washed his feet with her hair. And it's the same Martha that was too busy going about the housework to even stop and listen to Jesus when he's in her home. So it's that same Mary and Martha, and Lazarus is their brother. And then we learn early on in the passage, and we'll hear it again later, that Lazarus was a close friend with Jesus. He wasn't just some random acquaintance, someone begging to be healed, but they clearly had a relationship such that Jesus loved him. And I think that leads to an important point, and it's this. That glorifying Jesus begins with a relationship. So I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus chose Lazarus to raise from the dead. There was undoubtedly other people who died during Jesus' ministry that he could have certainly raised from the dead, but he didn't just raise anyone. He raised Lazarus. So what's so special about Lazarus? And I think the answer here is that there was a relationship. We know from the account says that Jesus loved him. And I think there's a takeaway here for us. So if the desire of our life, if the purpose of our life, is to glorify Jesus that ultimately begins with a relationship with him. So from that, I've I've got two things. I've got both an encouragement and a challenge based on that point. First of all, if you are pursuing a relationship with Jesus, I can promise you he will use it to his glory. It may not be as blatant, as clear as being raised from the dead, but he will use you for his glory. And then on the other hand, here's the challenge. If you desire to be God, used for God's purpose and if you desire to glorify Jesus but you aren't growing your relationship with him, that's where you need to start. Start with a relationship. Get to know Jesus. And then he will begin to use you. So this isn't really the purpose of the message but, but let's take a quick minute. Sometimes that idea of growing our relationship with Christ, getting to know Jesus better, uh, it needs to be tangible. Sometimes we need really specific, like, okay, but Gabe, how do I actually do that? What can that look like in my life? So here's, here's just kind of a quick list, just things to, to not leave that point hanging, but to give you something tangible. The first is pray. 
Talk to the Father. Talk to Jesus. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Right? Communication, as we know in any relationship, is key. So pray. Next is read Scripture. That's what we're doing right now. We're learning more about who Jesus is and what he came to do by reading Scripture. We learn about his character. Thirdly, and by far the most challenging for me, is listen. Stop talking. Stop doing. Listen. What is God telling you? How is Jesus moving in your life? The next is to respond. Actually, I kind of joked with my small group a couple weeks ago, but it wasn't really a joke. I, I really want to find one of those WWJD bracelets from, I don't know, early 2000s, I suppose. And what I mean by respond is in daily situations, right, I'm frustrated with a student at school or I'm frustrated with a coworker, or I don't know what to do about this scary situation. It's ask Jesus. What would you do in this situation? What would you have me do in this situation? What is going to bring glory to you and to your Father? That's what I mean by respond, is in the day-to-day, give those things up to Jesus. Next, talk about him. With Christians, with non-Christians, talk about Jesus. Share about Jesus. And then finally, as we're doing today and as we'll do leading up to Easter and certainly on Easter, celebrate. Celebrate Jesus. Celebrate who he is. Celebrate the victories that he's shown in, his, in your life. So there's, there's just some tangible ways. Ways that we can grow in our relationship with Christ. And if we want to glorify Christ, it starts with a relationship. Okay, so that, that was a tangent. Let's come back to the story. We learned something else here from Scripture that I think we've all experienced in our own lives. And it's this. That oftentimes the greater blessing comes in God's timing, not our own timing. All right, we've got our own timeline set up for our lives. We've got our own timeline set up for how we think things should work. But oftentimes, the greater blessing comes in God's timing, not our own. I mean, how often do we either get impatient with God or, maybe this is more common, we feel that God is putting us in a position that we're not ready for. In fact, maybe God is quite impatient with us. Um, I could imagine him thinking that about me at times. But it's in this story, it's in Jesus' timing that things happen. And in fact, his timing is called into question on a couple different times. So first of all, Jesus doesn't leave immediately when he hears the message of Lazarus' sickness. In fact, he stays where he's at. He waits for two days before even starting to return to Bethany. And in fact, he declares that he knows Lazarus is already dead. Like He waits so long that the guy dies. I don't think that was Mary and Martha's intention when they sent the message. I, I think that our human response, what they wanted, was for Jesus to respond right away, to come back and heal him. But he didn't. He actually waited, let Lazarus die, and then decided to return. But what we find, and we'll read later, is a greater blessing comes, both to Lazarus, to Mary, to Martha, to the disciples, to the others around, because Jesus waits. And this, I kind of debated what to do with this this morning, um, you know, the sermon, the message was, was written about a week or so ago, and I, I really didn't have a place to talk about the coronavirus. I, I just, you know, I, but I, I just feel like as it's maybe kind of gained traction, and it's maybe worth just a moment. And as I think about this idea of God's timing, God's provision, um, how our perception is not always God's perception, I think it's worth maybe just taking a moment and thinking about the way that we see and hear about this virus spreading and the things that it's doing and, and kind of the, the panic that it's creating, I want to encourage you to trust in God's timing, to trust in what God is doing in this situation. Um, because it's really hard for us to understand. It's really hard for us not to respond in panic and fear. 
So I, I just want to maybe make a quick kind of blurb that this is a perfect time where we need to be trusting God's timing. We need to be trusting in God's provision. And we need to be learning, leaning on what we know Christ did on the cross for us. And I think that's about as much airtime as I want to give that right now. I think otherwise um, the virus has plenty of airtime. We don't need to give it anymore. And then thinking more about the, the, the timing of things, the disciples actually questioned Jesus. So, so they're probably questioning, you know, well, why did you let this guy die? Why did we not go right away? But then they actually questioned him returning anyway. Because not long before this, there was the threat of Jesus actually being stoned. In fact, that's why Jesus had to, that's why Jesus left, is there, there was quite a bit of danger. And it seems like from a human perspective, it's crazy that he would return, right? I mean, there's nothing that he can do. Lazarus is already dead. In fact, as we learn a little bit later on, by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's been in the tomb, and in fact, as the Jews believed, after the third day, they believed that as the body starts to decay, that the spirit actually departs from the body. And so, like, this death of Lazarus is incredibly final. Like, he's dead, dead. He's been in the tomb. He's starting to decay. They believe his spirit has left. And so they're questioning, Jesus, why would you return now? It's a hostile environment, and it's over. Lazarus is dead. But again, as we already know, Jesus has bigger plans. So let's continue the story. So Jesus goes with his disciples. He returns. And on his arrival, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Martha clearly hasn't changed too much. And personally, I see so much of myself in Martha. And I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but just think, are you a Martha? And if so, that this is, this is for you. So what I find interesting is Martha doesn't even let Jesus get to town. Like she's at her house mourning with her friends and with her sister. She doesn't even give Jesus the opportunity to travel the entire way. No, she's got to go meet him two miles out and, and, and address the situation. She's, a, she's pretty proactive, that one. And on the one hand, this maybe shows that she doesn't trust Jesus. Right? She's anxious about the situation. But I want to focus very specifically on what she says. She immediately proclaims that she believes Jesus could have saved Lazarus and immediately proclaims that even though he didn't, which she clearly thinks he should have, she believes that even now, dead in the tomb for four days, she believes that God will give Jesus whatever he wants. She makes clear that she is convinced of the power and the sovereignty of Jesus. There's no question. Even in losing her brother, Jesus is Lord. And I think what we can take away from this is that Martha's conviction and her faith brought glory to Jesus. 
Right? Even though her response maybe seems that she's not trusting, what she says and what she proclaims to believe glorifies Jesus. I think one of my favorite parts of the story is how Jesus responds. He immediately, he recognizes her faith. He honors it. And he gives an immediate response to her concern. He assures her that Lazarus will rise again. He makes it clear. But then in true Mary Fath, Martha fashion, she thinks ahead. She's like, oh, he's talking about the resurrection at the last day, which, which is a very, that's a, she has a firm belief. She should have that belief. But she misses the point. Jesus is talking about right here, right now. But he continues to be gracious. He continues to honor the faith that she does proclaim. And what he actually does is he reveals to her one of the most important parts about who he is, one of the most important pieces of his character. Jesus says that he is the resurrection. It's not some later thing. It is Jesus. And he is the life. And we'll dig into this more later, but he actually responds to Mary's questioning with a proclamation of who he is. And in fact, Martha is, is blessed by this. So let's read a little bit further. Now let's read Mary's response. So after Martha had said this, she went back and she called her sister aside. And she said, the teacher is here. He's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village. He still hasn't been able to get there. But was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, Notice how quickly she got up and went. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So I think what's really interesting about Mary is she, she basically does the same thing that Martha did. She comes out, she meets Jesus, and in fact she says the first line the exact same as Martha. She says the same thing. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then she just falls on her knees, falls at his feet, and weeps. Right? And, and here we see the difference between Mary and Martha. Not that Mary doesn't have deep faith and deep, deep conviction of who Jesus is, but Jesus has always been for Mary her comforter. He's been the one to, to lift her up, to, to kind of help her deal with, with her emotions. He's the one that she turns to in hardship and pain. And so here we see that Mary's emotion and her love also glorify Jesus. So two sisters, two very different responses, but what we see is both bring glory to Jesus. And we know here that Jesus is glorified because it says that he was deeply moved and he was troubled. Right? Her, clearly what she did had an impact on Jesus. And we'll come more to this later, but, but let's dwell here for just a moment. Jesus is moved such that his spirit is troubled and he visibly weeps. Right? Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. But I, I, when I was reading this myself, I had to stop. Why would Jesus weep? And in fact, he's questioned. If, if we can go back to that last slide quick, Michelle. 
If we can go back one. People ask, could not he had opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? And so I find myself asking this question, why would Jesus weep? And it's not rhetorical, it's not facetious, it's, it doesn't make any sense on the one hand, because Jesus knew Lazarus was dead. He knew Lazarus was dead before he even came. And at the same time, he said, this sickness will not end in death. Jesus knows the end of the story. So it leads me to wonder, why is he troubled? Why is his spirit moved? And I think it's this. Because even though he knows the end of the story, he sees in Mary pain. He sees in those around her anguish at the death of Lazarus. And I think what Jesus feels here is is empathy. He hurts for Mary. He feels their pain, and ultimately, he hates what death does. He hates how death hurts his people. So I, I drew this. I don't know why I, this kind of popped into my head, but I drew this kind of connection. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Goodwill Hunting, I wish the language were a little cleaner, but, but it's a really interesting movie. And I remember very vividly the first time watching that movie. It was in college with my buddies. I remember where I was sitting on the couch. And as far as I can remember, it's the first movie that ever made me cry. And basically, the scene that got me, um, Matt Damon is the actor, he's kind of the younger, and then Robin Williams is his professor, and they're in, they're in Robin Williams' office, and, and basically, Robin Williams is just, he's like picking on Matt Damon. He, he's, he's basically kind of making fun of him for feeling sorry for himself, for lingering and dwelling on all the bad things that had happened in his past. And he's had a really troubled past. And then Matt Damon shoots right back and said, well, look at how you're hiding behind all these things, and you're covering up your own pain, and they have this back and forth, back and forth, and it ends in just a, just a massive hug. And basically what happens is the two men confront all of this junk in their lives and just kind of bring it out in the open. And, and I remember sitting there just, you know, looking at the guys around me like, and I'm starting to cry. Anyway, kind of an emotional point in the movie. But here's the thing. If I go watch that movie again, guess what happens during that same scene? It gets me again. I know the end of the story. Right? There's no surprise there. Why would I be emotionally caught off guard and be so weak as to cry if I already know what happens? And, and I think the point is, is because the acting and the dramatization, it pulls me in. I feel what the actors are feeling. Right? The, the, the story makes me feel that emotion. And I think that's where Jesus is at. He's feeling Mary's pain. And it moves him. And so if we want to look anywhere in the Bible to see that Jesus meets us right where we are, if we want to look anywhere to see proof that Jesus cares deeply for each and every one of us, there it is. Even though he sees the whole thing, he knows the ending. There's no surprises here for Jesus. He weeps for the pain and the anguish that is being felt by Mary and the other people. So let's go ahead and finish reading the story. And this will lead us to your last fill in the blank. So Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. That's kind of interesting. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, of course, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, By this time there's a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. Hey, there he is. Lazarus finally plays a part in his own story. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Oh, wow. So this whole thing builds up. We hear from Mary. We hear from Martha. We see Jesus' response. And what we have is a dead man raised from the dead. Someone in the tomb, rotting, stinking, decaying, comes out. His body renewed, just as if he had never died. This is huge. right? In fact, this is, as there were false prophets throughout history, This is one thing that a false prophet could never do. A false prophet could never mimic the miracle of raising someone from the dead. This is a really big deal. What Jesus is showing here is that death has no power. In fact, Jesus has all of the power over death. At the the proclamation of saying, Lazarus, come out, death is defeated. It's the ultimate miracle. This is a really big deal. And I think this, again, shows us who Jesus is. And here's your last fill in the blank. Jesus is the opposite of death. He is everything that death is not. Death and darkness, Jesus, are starkly contrasted. They have nothing in common. And I think, I think there's even more to this than maybe we realize. I mean, I don't want to belittle the, what Jesus did here, right? Like, dude was dead in the tomb four days. Jesus brought him life, back to life. That's a big deal. But I think what's more important is what this tells us about Jesus. So let's actually look back at how the book of John started. Let's look back at John 1, 1, verses 1 through 4. This is what they say. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. See, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. As we look at that verse there on the screen, notice word is capitalized. It's a proper noun. It's not just talking about words on a page. It's not talking... It's a a proper noun. And then notice later, as it's talking about the word, it says, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus was with God in the beginning. He was God in the beginning. And through him, everything was made. He is the light in the darkness. And so we almost see this bookend sort of deal. If If that's the way John started... And now this is what we find like proclaimed at Jesus' last miracle. It's like this perfect story of showing Jesus is life. Jesus is light. And now what Jesus is showing is I have the ultimate power over death. Jesus is about overcoming darkness. See, death and darkness have no place in the presence of Jesus. So as we think to our question, who is Jesus? This week I think we can say this. 
He is life. He is light. That's something more we learn about Jesus from the story. Jesus is life and he is light. So, hopefully it's fairly clear that this isn't an Easter message. It's, it's maybe, it's close. It's close. But, but a few Sundays from now, the Holy Spirit is going to move in Pastor Ryan. And, and, and we're going to have an Easter message. And we're going to celebrate, celebrate Jesus' resurrection. But I think what I want you to focus on today is, is kind of more introspection. It's about looking at our own lives, especially as we prepare our hearts for Easter, and confronting the darkness. It's about realizing, as Martha was starting to, that Jesus is light. He's the opposite of darkness. And it's about responding as Mary did and laying everything at his, at his feet. And we have to understand, when we invite Christ into our life, he's got plans. He intends to redeem every area of our lives. And we have to move. We have to give those things up to him. Because that's what he wants. So I want to let you maybe ponder these couple of questions as, as we close the message. The first one is this. What area or areas of your life are dark and dead? Right? What parts of your life are like Lazarus? The door had closed, the tomb was sealed, the story was over. You're dead, decayed, stinking, in darkness. What areas of your life are like that? And then the second question is this. Maybe the more important question is this. Do you trust that Jesus can and will resurrect and redeem those areas of your life? Because he's shown us that he will. In fact, that's precisely what he came to do. He's the light that has come into the world. We stumble in darkness, but the darkness cannot overcome the light. So I want to ask, will you give those areas of your life to Jesus so that he can raise you from death just like he did Lazarus? See, really, that's the point. We are Lazarus. We are dead in our sin. And Jesus had come, has come to raise us. So what we're going to do here, um, as the worship team makes their way up, we'll go ahead and pray. And then there's a short video. Um, and what I'd like you to do during the video, if, if you just want to continue to pray, that's fine. But continue to, th these are in your bulletin. Think about these questions. Enjoy the dramatization. The video is kind of neat. But continue thinking, where is my life dark? Where do I need redemption? And invite Jesus in to redeem those areas. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, we have to thank you first and foremost for Jesus. And we want to thank you for the story of Lazarus, of the man that Jesus loved, dying, decaying, falling into darkness. But Jesus proclaiming, this is not the end. Proclaiming that he is life, that he is light, and he raises the man from the dead. So Father, we thank you for this sign, for this miracle, and we just ask that you would that you would move in us, that the Holy Spirit would bring us to, to bring to light those things in our lives which are dark. Where there's darkness, where there's death, Father, uh, there is no hope for us without Jesus. And so I just want to ask that you this morning move in us, help us to bring those things to light, give them up to Jesus, and trust that he will resurrect and redeem those areas of our life. Father, we love you this morning, and we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.